Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my, sal- my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk is not a, a passage we typically go to for Christmas. It's a pretty depressing word. Um, in fact, the end here of, of Habakkuk is, is, if you're not careful when you're reading through the, the prophet, you might even think it's a bit disjointed from the rest of it. If you were to read all of chapter 3, the majority of chapter 3 is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And we don't know a lot about Habakkuk, but we do, we do know, in fact, he's not, he's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, so we don't have a lot of background bio information on him, but he's likely writing sometime before the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians, so somewhere around 600 B.C. That's where we think he's writing. He knows that the judgment of God is coming, and he knows that there is no way to avoid it, that they are going to be taken captivity and that probably he'll die. He'll spend the rest of his life in the context of brokenness. So I think for you and I today, to understand what's happening in this passage, the question has to be asked, have you ever had a bad day? And the answer to that is, sure, I've had a bad day. Maybe to push it a little bit further, have you ever had a bad year? You ever had one of those years? 2020 was probably like this for many of, it, of you. Let's just get this thing over and start over again. Ever had a bad year? But I think Habakkuk is even worse. And the question that I think comes out of this prophet is, have you ever had a bad life? Now, I don't want to be too depressing right now, but, but what I think is happening in this prophet and Habakkuk is writing is he knows things are bad and they're not going to get better in his lifetime. He's not having a bad day. He's not having a bad year. He is having a bad life. Now, in the context of a secular worldview, that would be cause for all kinds of depressiveness and woe is me and terrible thoughts like that. I mean, it's over. Let's just quit and, and, and forget it. And yet, at the end of this, this, uh, this, uh, this passage, at the end of this, this little book, Habakkuk ends on one of the most encouraging words in Scripture where he talks about, I will rejoice, I will have joy in the God of my salvation. And friends, I want to make the connection with us this morning that the joy of Habakkuk is not from his situation. His situation is bad, it's going to get worse, and it's never going to get better in his lifetime. 
What gives Habakkuk joy is he is looking on to the day when the Lord brings about salvation. And that would come when Jesus would enter the world and it'll be completely fulfilled when he comes again. And so this morning, as we look at Habakkuk and the, and the brokenness that he's experiencing, we're going to do that even while we're looking forward and toward Jesus who brings about salvation. There is a historical reality that when the Babylonians would come and and take uh, uh, Judah into captivity, uh, the Israel had already been taken into captivity, that that would, that would mark a low point. God would bring them back to the land, but the, the people of Israel would never know ever again uh, the, the high point that they had experienced with King David. That is until Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, the kingdom of David, once and for all. Habakkuk had joy even in the brokenness of this world, because he was looking toward the salvation of God that would come with the birth of Jesus. He had the long view of salvation. He had the full view of salvation. And so from this passage, I want to talk about joy and how we can have joy in the present reality that we're experiencing. And I want to talk about joy in three ways this morning. Number one, that we can have joy over what is. And so whatever your situation is right now, today, the Bible declares if you know the God of salvation, you know Jesus, you can know joy in the present, no matter, or or maybe better, better, better stated, even if your present situation is terrible. You can have joy right now. Secondly, there is joy in the what ifs. Now, I'm pretty sure you're like me in this, and we'll talk about this later, but typically when a little whiff of bad news comes, we take that little and we go to a lot. And so we start talking about, oh, all the terrible things that might come. And Habakkuk does just that in this passage. And I want to talk this morning about how we can have joy even in the what ifs. What if everything bad that we can imagine actually comes true? And then lastly, I want to talk about how we can have joy in the what will be. In fact, I want to press that pretty hard this morning because the joy in what will be is what gives us joy in the present. But let's begin with joy over what is. I I see that in in verse 16. And and frankly, verse 16 is a rather depressing word. So after after recounting some of the, the, the terrible realities of Uh, the judgment of God in all of this chapter, uh, Habakkuk says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles, my uh, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. In other words, he's saying, man, I am wore out. I am worn out. I am weak. I am falling apart because of the, the distress of the present reality that is upon me. But friends, I believe that there is the joy of salvation allows us to have joy in the present because the joy of salvation is in what God will do for us. Habakkuk knew that the judgment of God was coming. He would live to see the people of God taken into captivity. These were not good days. In fact, they weren't good days, and these days were not going to get better, at least not in his lifetime. And I think verse 16 is a recognition of the brokenness and worry he is experiencing. He's experiencing weakness. He's fretting. He's worrying over his uh, present situation. The prophet knew that the judgment of God was coming, but he also knew that the mercy of God would not be far behind. 
Looking even further, the prophet took joy in the ultimate salvation of God. Now, friends, the entirety of the Old Testament, the entirety of the Old Testament from Genesis 3 all the way to the end is a hopeful anticipation to the coming of the Messiah. Anywhere you want to light down in the Old Testament, from the moment that that God promised Eve that there would be one of her descendants that would crush the head of the serpent, there is an anticipation, a longing for the day that God would bring about the salvation of Israel and the salvation of his people. There's an anticipation there. There is a, there is a, a hope there. When you turn the page to Matthew from Malachi and you begin to read the New Testament, the New Testament is the rejoicing at the fulfillment of this promise. And that fulfillment of the promise was Jesus. That was the fulfillment of the promise to Eve. It was the fulfillment of all the promises to all the prophets and to all the law and to everything else in the Old Testament as they anticipated the coming salvation of Jesus. It was fulfilled when baby Jesus was in the manger. There's hope there. There's hope there. And today there is much brokenness. But the word, I think, from Habakkuk to us is take joy. There's a lot of brokenness today. There's a lot of destruction today. We've talked a lot these last few weeks about all the things that are wrong presently. And you can go politically, you can go economically, you can go socially, but you can even just talk about natural brokenness. Even this week, even this weekend, we saw great destruction just by the natural brokenness of this world with, with, with tornadoes. But I think the word for us today is to take joy Because Jesus, the Bible says, has overcome the world. Friends, today there is death and grief, but take joy because Jesus has defeated death. Today there is evil, is present, and wickedness seems to be unrestrained, but take joy. Jesus will come again as a conquering king and perfectly establish his kingdom and his righteousness. Today there may be much, uh, uh, there may be much grief, but take joy that God is still working out the work of his promised salvation. The prophet in the context of chapter 3 is looking at brokenness and more brokenness to come, and yet he declares joy because he's looking toward the day of Jesus bringing about salvation. You see, friends, salvation gives joy in our present situation. What is to come is not thwarted or diminished by the present reality. Listen to me carefully about this. What is to come is not thwarted or diminished by the present reality. There is nothing that can happen now that can keep the promises of God from coming true. Somebody say amen to that. But listen, there have been moments, you've experienced them, I've experienced them, when something has happened and we went, oh, now all is lost. Can't come back from this. And yet the testimony, and listen, in this moment, all the bad things that could be imagined are about to happen. And the prophet is still declaring there's joy in God's salvation because he knows it doesn't matter the present reality. There's nothing that presently can happen in this world that can thwart or diminish the promises of God. So take joy even in the present circumstances because of the salvation to come. This is the hope of this passage, that the promises of God's salvation gives joy even in the brokenness of the present. As the prophet looks toward what God is going to do, his despair is turned to joy. As the prophet remembers the the promises of God, his fretting is turned 
to joy. As the prophet begins to meditate on the God of salvation, his worry is replaced with worship. Now, this is not to say that Habakkuk would not know suffering. He would. But this is to say that even in the suffering of his day, Habakkuk had joy because he trusted in the God of salvation. Dear friends, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, gives us joy even in our present reality. There's joy in the present, but friends, there's also joy in the what ifs. Now, look with me in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive tree fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. Joy over the what ifs. There's a principle here that worry distracts us from who God is. Verse 17 is not a list of things that have happened, at least not happened yet. Verse 17 is a list of worries that, of what might happen. All four are, are worries of disastrous things. So the fig tree not producing figs, no fruit on the vine, no olives on the olive trees, the animal stock collapsing. And if you're in an agriculturally dependent uh, a world, if these things happen, you're going to starve to death. You're in great trouble. These are the worst case scenarios. Now, I identify well here. We often allow worry over the worst case to take hold of our heart and mind. So you have a little trouble at work. And so you begin to go to the worst case scenario of economic crisis and failure. You're going to lose your job. You're going to not pay your bills. You're going to be homeless next week. And oh no, what are we going to do? Or maybe, maybe some of you are more prone to, to health issues. You have a little pain, a little cough, a little un, something unusual, and so immediately your mind begins to race. Oh, no, the worst-case diagnosis is coming. I'm going to lose my life. The kids are going to be parentless and, and all these sort of things. Or maybe, listen, some of you are, you are heavy burdened because there is a constant fear of some unforeseen tragedy, unforeseen crisis that may befall you. Friends, when we give our heart's attention to these things, we become like what the prophet describes in verse 16, weakened and undone with worry. Worry over such things only focuses on our power and our ability, and such worry will not create joy it only creates more worry. I think the testimony of this passage is, is that God is your salvation no matter what comes. God is your salvation no matter what comes. Now, personally, one of the, a personal way of thinking through things for me is when I am approaching a difficult situation or a challenging situation, I oftentimes like to think through, all right, what if, what if the worst I can imagine actually comes to be? And what if you lose your job? 
There's no income coming in. What if that diagnosis that you fear may come is the actual diagnosis? What, what, what if that terrible thing happens? And, and, and to think through those, those realities, and the reality is, friends, as you think through those things, if, if you're honest with yourself, you'll, you'll get to a point where you'll say, even if that comes to be, the only thing I'll be able to do is rely on the, the provision and the sovereignty of God. You hear me? And the truth is, if you have to rely on the provision and the sovereignty of God in the worst things, it also testifies that you need to rely on the provision and the sovereignty of God, even if the worst thing doesn't come, but something less than that. This is what I think the prophet is communicating with the first words of verse 18, yet I will. So 17, all these terrible things. What if there's no animals in the stalls? What if all the crops fail? But verse 18 says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Well, 17, all the things described in verse 17 don't seem like things that are worthy of celebrating. But what I think he's getting at here is, in, in other words, even if all these worst case scenarios happen, I will rejoice in the Lord because he believes that God will save no matter what comes, no matter what befalls, no matter what event happens in his life. His trust, his joy is not bound up in a situation. His trust and his joy is bound up in the God of his salvation. Therefore, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I don't know if you know the story of Fanny Crosby. She she wrote a lot of the hymns that are in our hymn book. Fanny spent most of her life blind. And she was blinded because her family put their trust when she was a little girl in a, in a man who was pretending to be a doctor. He had no medical training. He didn't know what he was doing. And his treatment caused her eyes to, to be blinded. Now, if that had happened to you, if that had happened to your daughter, can you imagine the anger that that would have caused you, the frustration? And it would have been a, a wonderful opportunity, a, a ripe opportunity to, to be disgruntled, to be grumpy, to be complaining, and, and to talk about how could this thing happen to me. I think Fanny Crosby captured this idea of rejoicing in the Lord no matter what life brings in the first verse of her hymn titled, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. I just want to read this text to you, but listen to the last refrain of it. She repeats it twice. She says, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. Here it is. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doth all things well. And then to make sure we heard it, she repeats it again. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doth all things well. Friends, when you know the God of salvation, there is joy no matter what befalls you. Because you know, you know that the present circumstances may be bad, but the ultimate end is that you have put your trust in the God who is and will save. And that brings us to this last point. There's joy in the present, there's joy in the what-ifs, and there is joy in what will be. So look with me in verses 18 and 19. 
These are the verses that seem so out of place if you put them in comparison to the rest of the chapter. Verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the, uh, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is a word of joyful exp uh, expression. This is a word of joyful worship before God, even as his situation is bad and getting worse. Friends, there is joy in what will be. Now, a couple of things here. Number one, we have joy in what will be, but in order to do that, we must declare the truth of God. Now, I know that sounds rather simple, but hear me out what I mean by this. Often, and I mean very often, our emotions will lead us astray. So fear and worry and doubt, they will cloud your mind. They will cause you to discount the promises of God. You, you, you're, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is hearing you. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is present. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is saving you and providing for you. And in those moments, if you rest in, if you trust in your emotions, your emotions will lead you astray. Listen, friends, our, our cultural context right now is no longer led by truth. Our cultural context right now is led by emotions. It doesn't matter right now in the world what is true and what is not true. You'll hear people say, but I feel such and such. Well, we don't discount the feeling, but we must say to one another, dear friends, feeling doesn't make it true. Somebody say amen. amen. We need to declare what is true, not what we feel, because feelings will lead us astray. Our emotions will lead us astray. By the way, even our rational minds will lead us astray. You, you will rationalize all kinds of things. In your mind, you'll rationalize why God can't save you, why God won't save you. And it is in these moments, listen to me, it is in these moments you must speak truth to your emotions and even to your situation. Now, I, I would maybe play the, say this more plainly. Sometimes we need to preach to ourselves. I think this is what the prophet is doing in verse 18 and 19. I think he's preaching to himself. Verse 16 is the natural emotional response to a situation. Verses 18 and 19 is the truth that runs counter to his situation. Emotions do not equal truth. Reason does not always equal truth. Only God's word is eternally true. Somebody say amen. The situation that Habakkuk finds himself in seems like, reasonably, that it is broken and never going to get better. The emotional context in which the prophet is seems like everything is lost, and yet here he is declaring, yet I rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Old Testament prophets, God, through the Old Testament prophets, God promised a Messiah who would restore the, king of, the kingdom of David. This was true and would come to be no matter what the emotions of the day felt like. So as Habakkuk saw the, the, the nation of Judah being sacked, that the temple being torn apart, the people being taken to captivity, it felt like, it seemed like, the situation testified that there was no way that God could ever establish his kingdom again. And yet there would come Jesus who would do just that. To the New Testament saint, God has sent his son to forgive our sin 
and his promise to return again to, fulfill, to fully establish his kingdom. And the truth is, friends, that this will come to be no matter what the emotions of the day feel like. This is true and will come to be no matter how hard it is to reason how God can accomplish this. I preached a funeral of a saint yesterday. Stood beside the grave. Read Thessalonians chapter 4, where it talks about that the dead in Christ shall rise. Can we agree that when you're standing beside a loved one at a graveside, it doesn't seem very joyful at that moment? And yet we declare against our emotions what we know to be true. That even though cemeteries feel like presently a very sad place to be, they're going to be a glorious place to be when Jesus comes back. That's why he says, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Friends, the reality of it here is that salvation is in the Lord alone. Now, I want to focus in on verse 19 for just a moment. The imagery of verse 19 is a tremendous, can't be any further from a contrast to verse 16. So in verse 16, we got my bone, rottenness is coming into my bones. They're weak and shattering and frail. And verse 16 is a result of understanding your situation through your own eyes and your own strength. But then you get to verse 19, and it's the result of understanding the situation according uh, to God's promises and salvation. And he's talking about leaping and, and having the strength of a deer. The imagery of having feet like a deer points to strength and confidence. If you've ever watched a deer run, I'm not talking about like run with intensity, just out for a jog run. It's, it's a pretty amazing sight. They leap with what seems like no effort at all. They're faster than you can imagine. Several weeks ago, I was... I was in Rome, Georgia, and that morning I got up real early and I was running before daylight, and I decided I'd run up Shorter Hill, Shorter University Hill. Well, I was almost up to the top of the hill, and the thing about living in South Georgia is you're just not prepared for, for hills, amen? I mean, the biggest hill I, ha I run around here is Scriven Avenue, and that doesn't really count. So I'm huffing and, and I'm puffing and praying, Lord, just let me make it to the top. Well, maybe because it's a college campus and the deer know that nobody's going to shoot at them, they bed down right there in the middle of campus. There's a little field, I mean, students and cars and housing, but they bed down right there. And so this was, this was just before dawn, and so they were beginning to, to get up and move around. And as I make my way up that hill and I'm concentrating on every, every step, not feeling strong, not feeling like I'm a gazelle or a, a deer with with, with uh, assured feet and, and quick step, just trying to make it to the top, there was a doe standing right beside the road just watching me run. When I got about, I don't know, 15 feet from her, she decided to show out just a little bit. And with one leap, jumped over the road, didn't even break a sweat. And then in like a flash, was at the edge of the woods and then ran along the edge of the woods as quick as you can imagine. She wasn't running with fear. She was just being a deer. Just being a deer. She ran with amazing speed and grace. It was a demonstration of power and might in great contrast to my huffing and puffing trying to make it up the hill. 
That's the imagery here. That when we take joy in the God of our salvation, when we understand that our salvation is in the Lord alone, we have the strength not that comes from our own bones and our own strength. We have the strength that comes from the Lord. And so even as his situation is broken, and even as his situation is falling apart, and even as his situation is not going to get better, he picks out the deer as an example of what he feels like, not because that's true of his physical ability, not because it's true of his mental situation, not because it's even true of the the present reality that he's living, but because it's true of the salvation of God and the hope and the promise that he has believed in. The power and might of believers is not in ourselves. The power and might of believers is only found in the salvation of our God. Dear friends, say amen to that. So I've always, I've always loved to sing. I've loved to sing since I was a, a little kid and still love to sing uh, today. I, from as young as I can remember, I was in choirs. I was the guy that, kid that liked to sing in the choir. Sang all the way through elementary school, middle school, high school. When I went to college, I auditioned for and made the the shorter chorale. And even though I wasn't a music major, stayed in that chorale all four years because I was very aware that there was likely never going to be another place in my life that I would have the ability, the access to sing in such a high caliber choir. So I sang with them all, all four years. Maybe it's because of my love for singing that singing has become or is a very big part of my relationship and worship with Jesus. So um, when I'm by myself praying and worshiping, I'm generally, there's singing in there somewhere. I love to sing with the congregation. I love it when you sing well. Some Sundays you sing better than others. I love it those Sundays when you're full-voiced and you're, you're singing well. But I also Sing a lot, just went on one with the Lord. Last year, I spent a a few days in the hospital with COVID-19. And during that time, uh, having the breath just to talk became labor. So long conversations were difficult as my voice would give out very quickly. And I just didn't didn't really have the, the, the breath to speak very much. And I certainly did not have the breath to sing. Sometimes I'd try, but, but I could usually only get out a note or two, and it was raspy and feeble at that, and it would, it would end in a coughing fit and exhaustion. At the time, the fears of what if seemed so great to me. I, there, were, there was a season there where I was pretty fearful that I'd never preach again. And if I couldn't have a conversation longer than a minute or two, certainly couldn't stand up here and and preach for 30 minutes or more. I was devastated by that. I knew that would change my life, but it also, my my calling before the Lord and all those sort of things, what am I to do if if I can't preach? And as bad as that was, the thing that really weighed heavy on my heart was I, I began to think, God, what if I never sing again? Now, I wasn't so concerned about singing solos at church and that kind of stuff. It, it was devastating to me to think about, Lord, I'll never be able to sing just, just privately and worship before the Lord.
I would try, but again, it was a feeble attempt. I couldn't get very far, and, and even when I tried, it was just a reminder that I was too weak and didn't have the breath and didn't have the ability to sing. And one unique thing about being in the hospital with COVID is nobody comes to see you. <laughs> nobody comes to see you. I was so thankful for the few hospital employees that were also members of our church that would come by. Those visits were precious. But, but, but nobody, you know, you, nobody could come to see me. And even the nurses working the floor would only come in the room when they had to. So the result of that was you spent the majority of your days by yourself. And there was one particular day that just the, the, the heaviness of the what-ifs were overwhelming. My, my mind was, was, was on to the, Lord, what if I never preach? Lord, what if I never sing again? Lord, if I, what if I never have the, the physical strength to, to get up and walk across the room again? All those sort of things. And the what ifs were great. And so I, I spent that day, no visitors. And I think that was a gift of God that day, just a grace that was a particularly lonesome day. I don't mean that negatively. It just folks didn't come that day. And I spent the entirety of that day um, laying on that hospital bed. And I, I, I pulled out my phone and, and I just hit the, you can choose a genre of music. And I, I, I chose worship music and I hit play, shuffle and play. Now you can laugh at me if you want to, but I, I'm convinced that, that that playlist that day was divinely um, curated by the Lord himself. Because every song, I'm telling you, every song was like it was preaching to me and ministering to me. I laid there all day, cried a bunch that day, sung nothing. Maybe a few notes would, would kind of come out just uncontrollably, but I, I couldn't. I just had to lay and listen all day long. And as I laid and listened and prayed and just was before the Lord that day, what began to happen was, what if all these things do come true? What if I never preach again? If I don't ever preach again, God is still sovereign. The Word of God is not dependent upon me preaching it for it to go forth. God can raise up a thousand more preachers. God is still the God of my salvation. What if you can never preach again? What if I never sing again? God is honored by obedience and righteousness, not by the beauty of our voices. What if I never sing again? I can praise the Lord in silence. I can obey the Lord in silence. What if he is still the God of my salvation? What if I never had the strength to walk across the room again? God is still sovereign. God is still mighty and great. He is still the God of my salvation. What if my life ends? God is still the God of my salvation. In fact, even in there, I'll know more perfectly and better the greatness of the promise of salvation than I could have any other type of thing. Now, at the end of that day, I was physically no better. Still couldn't sing, still couldn't preach, still couldn't talk. But at the end of that day, I had joy. Because I had gone to the what-ifs, and even if all the what-ifs had come true, the God of my salvation was still the God of my salvation. I don't know what your story is today. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what your what-ifs are today, but I know this, that because Jesus sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin, 
to be placed in the humility of a manger, that he might be the salvation of our sins. There is hope in salvation today. I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what is making you weak today, but I know this. Your strength has never been in you. It has always been in the power of the living God. And the call, the encouragement, the invitation today is to come and know the God of salvation. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.